0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: Look at all the
0: Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111. I'm Cheryl Kuhlman.
2: And I am Nick Ashburn.
0: And we just played Eleanor Rigby.
2: Yes, and in case you were wondering, there is actually a new uh, Beatles channel on SiriusXM18 launching today. It's sort of this British invasion of (laughs) SiriusXM. So if you are a Beatles fan, like maybe I'm looking for... You know, back in the U.S.S.R. or <laughs> another, another or Norwegian song. Norwegian Wood. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can hear that on Sirius XM Channel 18 starting today.
0: Great. But we, we're not doing Beatles right no, now. We we're are doing... talking
2: about business and social impact.
0: And risk and change. And uh, we are welcoming Brian Bloom, who's the CFO of Enodo Global. Brian, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Cheryl.
0: It's good to have you on. So you Pleasure know, we just here. finished a section with Deanna van Mastrake uh, from Equileap, and a lot of what we were talking about was um, investment risk. You know that if you understand some of the gender uh, issues and uh, what companies can do around that, you can understand risks better, and then you can get better investments. And I think Noah has a, a very interesting approach to mitigating risks. So why don't you tell us what Anoto does?
1: Sure. Happy to. Um, At its core, Noto is a risk advisory or business intelligence firm. But the way that we're unique and the lens through which we look at risk for investment and just across organizations and their operations is through a social risk lens.
0: And explain what a social risk
1: lens is. Sure. We define social risk as the challenges that emanate from the population. Now, in today's world, that could be individuals, activist groups, or even nefarious networks like drug cartels or terrorist organizations. And social risk is how these actors can affect government programs or even private sector investments. And on the flip side, where a lot of people actually don't look, how these public sector organizations and private uh, companies affect the populations. And what we found is that when grievances aren't addressed or basic needs are not met, this social risk increases, and the impact on organizations depends on the industry or sector. But with the proliferation of communication technology, these groups have more influence than ever before to very quickly coalesce around um, an idea or even a meme to uh, increase negative public sentiment, have protest, strikes, litigation, or even violence.
2: And so. Brian, is this primarily in sort of emerging markets or developing economies, or is this also relevant for the U.S. and Western Europe? You know, I'm
1: so glad you asked that, Nick. That's probably one of the first questions we get from uh, most potential clients and, and some of our partners. The fact of the matter is that social risk exists everywhere. It's kind of we, – we use this uh, when we're chatting with folks for the first time. I don't know if either of you own polarized sunglasses. Have you been a, a shopping for sunglasses and get the polarized kind? Yeah. So when you're looking at the wall, at least when they, usually the salesperson does it, they say, here are the normal glasses, and they have you look at the wall, and then they give you the polarized sunglasses, and all of a sudden that word polarized appears on the wall. Have you guys experienced that? No. So it's, it's the same thing with social risk. Once you un- understand it, everyday life, you see it. So you see it in the U.S. all the time. Look at the recent Pepsi commercial. Uh, We talk a lot about the election of President Trump. Um, We actually are launching, I think today, hopefully, uh, (laughs) first ever social risk training um, in collaboration with Texas A&M and Extension Service Tech that's really geared towards first responders. So police, firefighters, uh, people of that sort. So it's everywhere. Absolutely everywhere.
0: So what does that training look like? Can you give me an example of what, what people are learning in that? Because I'm kind of, um, it sounds interesting, but I'm, I'm not quite catching the, the concrete detail.
1: Sure. So it's an introductory. It's about a one-hour course. And what it does is it introduces the concept of so- social risk. So the introduction I just gave, explaining it at a very high level, the threats that emanate from the population. It's very unique. It's tailored to every situation, uh, whether it's a government program or an investment. Um, And it affects different industries and geographies differently. So what we do in the first half of the course is really just introduce the concept. But as you can imagine, or, you know, when I was in school, and I'm sure when we were all in school, case studies really helped bring things alive. So we actually walk through, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, the, the response to that with the Blue Lives Matter movement. We look at the North Dakota pipeline for a private sector example. And then we look at the protests uh, during the election or th- during the inauguration of President Trump as another example so basically to basically just show how it can affect, um, you know, different parts or different uh, aspects of life across society.
0: Yeah. And it goes to next question. Those are all U.S. examples. Well, I was sort of absolutely. Yeah. And
2: <clears throat> excuse me, um, I'm, I'm so I'm thinking, OK, if you you brought up the Pepsi example, we talked about that on the show just a couple weeks ago, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement Seems relevant for PepsiCo because they tried to incorporate it into their marketing materials. But how might you know a protest like the the Women's March in um, DC around the inauguration, or Black Lives Matter, or any of these things? How do I think about that from a company perspective?
1: That's uh, a great question. You know, the, the first thing you asked was, "Is this applicable in uh, you know developed nations like the U.S.?" And I said, "Yes, it's everywhere," and it and I and I think I said a couple times it affects. Every geography and every industry, although in unique ways. And the third thing I, uh, we always try to hammer home with folks is that there's no consistent way to measure it, let alone address it. So, the you know typical marketing campaigns look across how is this going to um, affect different demographic groups, and they build up, um, you know, a, per- a typical person in their mind—a 25 and mm-hmm. 35 I- year old female. Um, that works out three times a week, goes out to eat with her friends twice a week, sees a movie once a month, goes to church on Easter and Christmas, and they create this persona, and it's the what. It's it's what the person does, and the way we look at social risk and the way that it can apply and we conduct social risk analysis is looking a level below that, looking at the why, so you could have someone that's the exact same person, person A and person B, who, who do the exact same things and fit that persona. But why the, they do those things could be completely different. And that's what we're saying organizations need to understand whenever they have a strategic or even an operational decision to make. Um, I, I mean, I can give examples on you know, why, why was there a protest in the North Dakota pipeline um, when there are other pipelines that have, had no protests that received international attention. And it really comes down to social risk.
0: So, but go a little deeper on that. Why was there the protest at Dakota and not elsewhere?
1: Sure. So, what we have an I, I hypothesis. We have a, a methodology that gives people a way to consistently measure social risk and then address it. And that hypothesis is based on identity conflict theory or identity politics. Are are you too familiar with that, or should I? Let's let's break it down there? for our listeners. Right. Sure. So the idea, the hypothesis is that um, identity informs perceptions, worldviews and shapes behavior. And everyone has multiple identities across race, religion, ethnicity, gender, um, even your sports affiliations. I'm a Boston uh, sports fan and uh, was pretty upset Chicago about I'm sorry. I'm losing <laughs> less. <laughs> so, so, so let me give you a quick example of how that plays out. Um, hope, hopefully you guys can play along with me So you have a, you have a fireman and a lawyer Standing at a street corner and Oh, when I know the punchline of this joke No, I'm kidding <laughs> when, a, when a window breaks And fire starts shooting out of the window And someone from inside that building screams What does each person do? What does the fireman do?
0: He runs towards the fire to exactly. rescue the person
1: What does the lawyer do?
2: They are waiting for the ambulance to show up So they can talk to the person who, To see who's liable
1: Exactly. That's why we love using that that example. Everyone has their own great punchline. So what we're saying there is identity leads to behavior. And so by looking at identity, um, we're able to look at all the data out there on social media, on mainstream media, on anything that's open source, anything that you can, uh, polling, uh, focus groups, pretty much anything, anything, structured, unstructured data, and filter it through that one variable So you can understand what's going to trigger uh, people to act, what's going to uh, inform their behavior. Um, And so for the North Dakota pipeline, obviously there were, um, you know, kind of uh, everyday issues with environmental risk and uh, water supply issues. But it was when um, it threatened the Native American identity that it really got national and then international attention.
0: Interesting. We're talking with Brian Bloom, who's the CFO of Enodo Global. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM One Eleven. And Brian, so this this does
2: bring me to a couple of things. So going into this segment, I was thinking your your um, your business and what Enodo does. Resonated with me from an, a research base um, with a faculty member named Viet Heinisch, who talks about corporate diplomacy and what can corporations, mm-hmm. you know, especially extractive industries and emerging markets, how do they be better corporate citizens that mitigate those types of social risks? I think you're talking about, and mm-hmm. then but really also now it comes to mind with I think another Wharton professor as well as I think a SiriusXM co-host, Americus Reed, oh, who is yes. a brand identity researcher. And I, I'd be curious now, like, if we had both of those faculty members here to talk about, like, have they ever thought about the overlap in their work and how that might affect, you know, what Enodo does? And so my question yeah, for you is more, connection, Nick. Yeah. are you, is the work that you're doing, are you able to pr- potentially predict when an outbreak of maybe a protest or some sort of disruptive activity might ha- occur
1: so, that's a great question, and if they're, either of them are listening, happy to have them call in immediately, <laughs> and we can have a discussion
0: next. Um, call in.
1: Uh, and, and you made me think of a couple a of couple things, so I'll get to the prediction question, but you're absolutely right. The extractive sector is where I think a lot of these issues um, come up very clearly. And again, going and being able to use one single variable to, to filter through all the data is really helpful. We've worked with the uh, extractive organizations before, and minerals and mining, um, and uh, oil and gas, and we found that on average they're very siloed organizations. Um, the security folks don't talk to the public relations people, the marketing people don't talk to the CSR people. Um, in the corporate affairs people, and business intelligence is done in a dark room somewhere that no one ever actually uh, gets, gets <laughs> the intelligence across the rest of the organization.
2: Even though so, there are risks across all of those areas, disciplines exactly. within the business that would be exactly. important for business intelligence.
1: Exactly. And we actually talk about that when we introduce social risk to people for the first time because it is definitely not something uh, discussed or something that has been you know, quantified and been measured uh, before. And what we talk about is that social risk is a slice of the pie, the, social, the risk pie, the risk portfolio that just goes um, you know, unnoticed or unchecked or uninvestigated. Uh, but in addition to that, it's actually polka dots across all the other pieces of the pie. When you have increased social risk, you have increased political risk. And when you have increased social risk, you have increased regulatory risk when you, people might change the law because of uh, unrest at a site. Um, you have uh, you know, increased default risk if you have a protest or strike and you can't pay your debt payments. So it's definitely something that comes out a lot in the extractive sector, and that's actually where Noto started when uh, we first uh, started working with private sector organizations. Now, to get to your question specifically on the prediction, we actually say we, we never we never predict. Uh, no one can predict a trigger event. It's impossible. To be honest with you, it's just it is just impossible. Um, And when folks come and say that, that we're going to be able to tell you when an attack happens or when a protest happens, uh, to be honest, we we think we've never met someone that can consistently back up that claim. You called BS. However, (laughs) yes, uh, I wasn't going to go there.
0: uh, We're on SiriusXM, we can. (laughs) Um,
1: Nick is the Howard Stern
0: of dollars and change. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's a good thing, but all right.
1: But I will tell you this, you can, and this comes back to having a methodology um, and having a process that drives the analysis instead of bringing in personal biases or um, saying, hey, we're going to go address this social issue in this area. You know, we're going and I know you said your previous uh, you know, uh, speaker was talking about uh, women's issues. Right. For us, I think everyone can agree that equality in genders is a good thing. But what we do is we never bring a bias in. I worked a lot in Afghanistan. And there were a lot of programs. Even Goldman Sachs had a 10,000 women uh, program there, mm-hmm. or 10,000 women-owned businesses. And the fact of the matter is it wasn't that successful because they brought their Western lens and their Western mindset in trying to overlay it into Afghanistan. And so what we do is we conduct a baseline analysis to uncover what are the basic needs that the people actually want, a, a much more bottom-up approach. And what are the existing grievances? What, where's the minefields of— things that might cause a trigger event. And so while we never say we can predict the event, by creating that baseline and having that scientific process to look at the data across uh, you know, whatever geographic area you're operating in, you are able to forecast um, you know, that, that level of social risk and then come up with very tailored mitigation strategies.
0: Well, Brian, can you talk a little bit about that? And again, we're talking to Brian Bloom, who's the CFO of Noto Global. So you don't predict, um, because rightfully, you know, you just, no one can predict. You go in and do an analysis. And if I'm a company and I've got your analysis about some of the risks that might come from, you know, identity and some of the social risks, what else, what do I do with that information?
1: No, it's a great question. I think, again, uh, when I was in business school, case studies always brought, Things alive for me, so why don't I? Why don't I give you a recent example of sure. an analysis that we've been conducting? Um, so about six months ago, we entered the Saudi Arabia market. Um, as you can imagine, I don't know if you're familiar. Actually, I should start there with Vision 2030 in Saudi Arabia. Correct? Uh,
2: no, no, no. I mean, so okay, many great. countries have sort of their own strategic yep. plans, but not not familiar with Saudi Arabia specifically.
1: Perfect. So a little background. So Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030 is their plan to diversify away from their reliance on oil and gas. You've probably heard about the upcoming Saudi Aramco IPO, where they're going to float about 5% of the company. Mm -hmm. that's one piece of a whole program across every single um, government agency there that's going to promote this transition. Um, So that's the context. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of those uh, issues that they're looking at is increasing female participation in the workforce by 5%. So a great goal, but how do you actually do it? And this gets to your question, Cheryl. Yeah, right. Now that you have this analysis, what do you do with it? So we looked across, and we, we just did a – I'll give you the high-level results. We looked at four different demographic groups, men under the age of 25, women under the age of 25, men over the age of 65, and women over the age of 65. As you can imagine, their sentiment to that goal is different. I, you guys can take a wild guess of which group has the most <laughs> negative sentiment against that.
0: Exactly, over 65.
1: Exactly, and spe- specifically men over the age of 65. Mm, mm-hmm. So the question then becomes: How does social risk analysis help you achieve that goal? Because they're going to try. Um, the Deputy Crown Prince uh, put out this plan. Um, so what we did is we looked at what is a common identity across those four different demographic groups. And we found that there was a common identity of nationalism. So what do you do with that? Well, you look at the plan to introduce women into the workforce and you look at nationalism. So you create a narrative that says we're going to introduce women into a vocational training program in the defense sector so that Saudi Arabia can make their country strong and defend itself from external threats such as, you know, and fill in the blank. And so while that actually decreased the amount of negative sentiment by 25 percent across all four different demographic groups.
0: Because it tied to this common sense of nationalism and wanting to make Saudi Arabia stronger.
1: Right. And I don't want you to think that it's a traditional marketing firm approach because it's not. It has to do with the methodology and looking through that identity lens and that social risk analysis lens. Because you could say, oh well that's easy obviously everyone's nationalistic in their country and proud of their country yes that, that that's probably true to some extent but is that the best answer is that the one that's going to give you the biggest return on your investment That's what we do We've created that scientific approach to uh, in, to measuring it consistently and then more importantly as you're, you you are asking Cheryl addressing it
2: and so and so Brian, We've been talking about the enterprise level, and I think that makes a lot of sense, the corporate level that, you know, that's your client base. Are investors starting to get more savvy around these types of risks so that, you know, if I'm now sitting at the corporate level in investor relations, hey, I've worked with a Noto. I know we're trying to mitigate these things. Are they fielding questions about this more and more too?
1: You know, it's so funny you say that. I had a previous life in investment banking, (laughs) so very familiar with the risk committees and and the questions that come up during that, and I'll be honest with you, most people just accept this as a risk. They don't know uh, that there's an option out there. onoto is only three years old. Um, we're, we're blazing the trail um, talking about social risk in this scientific way. Um, and so I don't think there are a lot of folks out there that know that this is available in a way to actually lower the risk profile and increase risk-adjusted returns. Um, with that said, I think the questions, as uh, as you asked Nick, do come up. There just there just there aren't solutions out there. Or yeah, not many solutions out there. Yeah,
2: thank you for your answer because I think that's really helpful. I did set you up because I am <laughs> hearing, you know, I am hearing sort of anecdotally, yes, it's happening more and more. But I I think to the point is that the analysts on the you know the investment banking side don't necessarily know even what they're asking for they certainly don't have mm-hmm. the data or the methodologies to accurately price that and from a scientific basis i you know that's what we are so hungry here at wharton to start figuring out
1: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah. and i think that's you know the traditional way of doing it is you bring in a a expert so you bring in an ex state department person or an ex cia person that was covering let's call it columbia And and what we say is, okay, you have that expert in Colombia. Now you have another opportunity with the same financials for uh, an investment in Argentina. And you have another expert for Argentina. How do you compare their opinions? They're going to bring their own natural biases. Mm -hmm. They're going to bring their own uh, worldviews. And what we're saying is, in a data-rich world, there is an opportunity to really provide some rigor behind the analysis that's consistent. Um, so, yes, I, I know you did kind of throw me a softball there, but that's exactly, that's exactly what we're saying. There's that slice of the risk portfolio, um, and we're trying to fill that, and it's actually having a ripple effect because social risk are a lot of the cases of extreme down, downside losses and black swan events for investors.
2: Oh, I have, a, I have a random quick question for you. Okay, let's say there was a CI, someone had hired the ex CIA person in Colombia and the ex State Department for Argentina. Who's more cynical? <laughs> in their analysis
1: you know we always say i'll, I'll respond back with a with a comment that we usually tell people we we get we get this a lot when we go into countries for the first time you know we obviously as an american uh based company we always go to the state department and USAID and introduce ourselves just as we're entering the market and uh we've had some folks come to us and say you don't know this country i know this country like the back of my hand right, right. And i just say why why is it so screwed up then why haven't you fixed it? Yeah. Uh, you know, the the definition of, you know, stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result.
2: I that's used to work saying. on State Department projects and USAID projects um, in a previous life. And, and I do feel like um, that's one of the biggest reasons why I left that sort of field. I was I wanted more innovation. I wanted to think more critically about these issues.
0: Right, and, and I think that a lot of this is really is, and we're, we're thinking about this broadly, but in terms of how you risk, what the risk is, how you measure, how you think about things differently so that you're able to not have places that are messed up stay messed up, not have the same you know approaches that don't work continue to be applied. So yeah. it's really interesting. So, Brian, we are coming to the end of our, our segment. but So, you know, in the 30 seconds or so that we have left, what, what's on the horizon for Enodo Global?
1: No, thanks for, thanks for asking. You know, we're pretty excited. Like, as I mentioned, we are launching our first online training uh, in collaboration with Texas A&M, the, the extension uh, service there. And we're pretty excited about that. But we're actually just, we're, we're expanding pretty quickly. We get new requests uh, every day to help folks out. And our goal is just to become the premier social risk advisor for anyone that really wants to solve the problems, to engage the population, to understand what the challenges are. Great. And Nick, to your original question, I don't care if, uh, what side of the aisle they're on. I don't care what geography it is. We're always looking through uh, all the risks through a population-centric lens, and we really just want to help the people. There's definitely that altruistic component of Enodo, and we're really excited to yeah. continue to do that. That's great.
0: And one of the things I really do like is that that image of the uh, the polarized sunglasses, because it is true, once you start – Realizing some of the impact of this, you—it's just that extra bit of understanding that helps you be a little bit more thoughtful as you, as you walk around the world. Absolutely, so this is learned for all of you listeners. You can do this as well. So we are heading into our break. When we come back, we are going to have. Uh, I lost my Andre Cherny Andre Cherny who's going to be talking about that, and we will discuss aspiration.
2: Yes, this bank. This that bank. is telling you what you're purchasing is. And is it... As
0: you purchase it. It's, yeah. a, it's an app. So we're going to have to look at that and see. Because, again, this is all really helpful for, I think, it's it's all about knowing what's out there. It's all about understanding what the risk is, understanding who's doing different work around gender lens. It's about understanding what companies do. This show is about making you sm- it's smarter. It's more
2: information. It's more data. Yeah. It's more transparency. So
0: you understand more. You make, make better decisions. So this is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111. We'll be back.